right, good morning. Good to see everybody. I don't, did I have to do anything to this, Andy, or is it good? Okay. All right, if you would, I'm going to ask you to take your Bible and go to the book of Philemon in the New Testament. The book of Philemon. do have something I want to hand out to you here in just a minute. We got all kinds of colors here, don't we? This board was made for somebody taller. <laughs> but uh, the book of Philemon. What do we know? What do you know? I mean, we collectively. What do you know about the book of Philemon? Have you ever, probably haven't thought a whole lot about it, particularly every day, but uh, Philemon's one of those short books. In fact, in the New Testament, there's several of them, but books that consist of only one chapter. And, uh, but it's, a, it's a, a very rich nugget, if you want to say, because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good lessons for us, some some pictures, if you want to say, regarding salvation and some very important, maybe often not talked about aspects of salvation um, that are pictured for us in this book. Now, uh, both Philemon and the book of Jude have 25 verses each, but Philemon has 200 fewer words, so it's a good bit shorter than Jude. Um, But Philemon is also one of the... uh, what's called prison epistles uh, from uh, the Apostle Paul. There's four of those. Does anybody know what the other, the other three of those are? It's just ways that people categorize different parts of the, of the New Testament. There's some extra ones here if, if uh, anybody else needs to get one. But... Um, the, the prison epistles are, uh, of course, they're, they're called that because they are uh, epistles, letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And uh, the four of those are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And there's a, there's a strong connection between Philemon and the book of Colossians. In fact, it's very likely, it's most, most thought that Philemon probably lived in Colossae or thereabouts and uh, was probably uh, part of that church. Now, there are three cities that are very closely kind of uh, maybe in today's terminology, they would have called them the tri-cities or something like that. But uh, the city of Colossae, the city of Hierapolis, and then the city of Laodicea. Everybody's heard of that one as well. But those three cities were, were part of the area called Asia Minor, and uh, they were very, very closely uh, related geographically and had a, had a strong connection with each other socially, politically, and so on. But uh, uh, the only one of those that we don't have anything in the New Testament directly written to would be Hierapolis, because in... Uh, in the book of Revelation, we actually have a letter to the church at Laodicea, right, from the Lord Jesus himself, 
there. So, so anyway, we, we, we know a little bit about those areas from different parts of the New Testament and so on. And as far as we know, all right, as far as what's recorded in Scripture, Colossae uh, is, the, is the only one that Paul is directly writing to. We don't really have record in the New Testament that Paul ever went to Colossae directly. So it's very possible that, uh, that the church at Colossae was either, either uh, started by folks that the apostle had a direct influence on and went there. In fact, we won't take time to go there right now, but in Acts chapter 19, uh, verse 10, it make, the, the Bible makes this statement. Now, keep in mind that in, in Acts 19, that would be in what's considered Paul's third missionary journey. And the, the, the setting there, the historical setting, it's, it's talking about Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus. Now, many times it seems that when, when Paul went to a place, he wasn't there very long. In fact, like the, uh, the city of Thessalonica, you know, we have two letters in the New Testament addressed to the church at Thessalonica. And as far as we know, Paul only spent three weeks in Thessalonica uh, before he was run out of town. Um, it may have been slightly more, but he mentions about three Sabbath days meeting with the people in the synagogue there uh, as he was evangelizing the Jews, and there was a church that started as a result of that. But, uh, uh, but uh, and I kind of lost my train of thought there, what I was even talking about, but, but uh, oh, I remember now. All right, happens when you get older, I guess, uh, and you're tired and all that, you know. Yeah. Patty was mentioning this morning, at, you know, about how, how Grace was adjusting and everything. And, and when, you, when you spend, you know, although I wasn't there every day during that, of course, but when you spend almost six weeks in the hospital, I mean, just, everything's just out of whack, you know. I mean, uh, so anyway, it'll take, take a while to get, get everything back on, sleep schedules readjusted and all of that. But anyway, in Acts 19, it's, the setting is Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Now, uh, in Ephesus, Paul spent several years. In fact, we know of at least two years at a time, and then he was there on more than one occasion as well. But uh, it, it, it seems there that when, when Paul was in Ephesus, now keep in mind too, Ephesus was one of those cities that's also got a, a letter to it addressed in the book of Revelation, right? Those seven letters in, in Revelation. And, and Ephesus was a place that seemed like Paul kind of used as a headquarters, and there were a lot of ministries that were, if you want to say, directed out of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, because in Acts chapter 19.10, I'm finally getting to that statement there, it says that all of Asia heard the word of the Lord. In other words, while Paul was ministering in Ephesus. So it seems that a lot of different possible other churches, places we don't even have any record of in the New Testament or anything, other places were affected because of Paul. It says that he taught daily in, in a place there. Uh, and so he was probably using that as a center and training men, and they were going out to various places and so on. And the point being is the connection with Colossi, Colossians and Philemon is this seems to be probably one of those places that was affected like that. But nonetheless, Paul had a direct connection personally with Philemon, as we can see by reading the letter. And we can see, too, that, uh, that they, they were very, he would consider Philemon a very good friend. 
and, uh, and Philemon had a, had a direct impact and influence in Paul's ministry as well, as we'll see. So let's go ahead and do this. I know the, uh, the custom is to kind of go around the room and read. So I think it'd be good, particularly today, I know it's 25 verses, but let's go ahead and read through the letter. Uh, that way, at least reading through it once, you know, kind of helps set a little bit of the context. Now, as we read, I want you to look for two things at least right now. Notice the names. There's a number of people that are named in this letter. And by the way, a number, a number of these same people, you'll find their names in the book of Colossians as well, which again demonstrates there's a connection between the two. Um, and probably, I'll get back to what I was going to tell you there in a second, probably uh, the book of Colossians and the book of Philemon and the book of Ephesians were probably written right about you know, the same time and sent out at the same time by the Apostle Paul when he was a prisoner in Rome. And uh, that's probably his first Roman imprisonment, when, which is recorded at the end of the book of Acts there. And, uh, but probably about 60 AD, 61, 62, somewhere in that range. Uh, it's hard to say exactly, of course. But um, uh, so keep, keep uh, an eye out for names that are mentioned. And then also, as, you, as we read, kind of uh, just try to get the gist of what Philemon's about. You'll notice it's a very personal letter, unlike most of the letters. That, I mean, it's very personal. And just notice, notice what this letter is about. Paul is asking Philemon basically for something. And so see, see as we read this, uh, kind of gather this, all right? So I'll read the first verse, and then I guess we just kind of go clockwise and just keep on going around like that clockwise, at least from my, I guess it'd be clockwise from your perspective as well. But anyway, all right, Philemon, verse 1, here the Bible says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Unto our beloved Apphia, and, and to the church in thine house. Oh, I'm sorry. And Apphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thine house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. And the communication of our faith tongue, effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you, Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be less bold in Christ to enjoy thee that which is convenient. Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Whom I have sent again, Thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own vows, whom I would have retained with me, that it, in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but when I might. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. 
not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother of the law, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. And with confidence in thy obedience I write unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But with all prepare me also in welcome, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. Therefore salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll uh, start looking at this, this letter here. Father, this morning as we uh, spend this time looking into this portion of your word, I pray that you'd help us, help us, of course, see what it says, what it means, and then course, what you expect from us as a result of it, um, but we just pray that we would be faithful to your word as we look at it and uh, obedient to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and for his sake we pray, amen. Well, what are some of the names? Let's, let's talk about this first because uh, there's different ways you could look at this, right? Our goal this morning, by the way, is to look at the first seven verses, which are kind of uh, kind of the introduction, if you want to say, to the letter, the main focus of the letters in verses 8 through about 22 uh, there, and then there's, of course, a few closing verses. But what are some of the names that you saw here? All right, of course, first we'd have what? Paul and Timothy, Philemon. Aphia, and I'm not sure if I'm even spelling all these right. Archippus. Gotta, yeah, I got to jump down a little ways for those. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of names there. In fact, uh, if you were to look at the book of Colossians, you'll see Colossians, it starts out the exact same way. Paul and Timothy writing to the church. Now, he, he in Colossians, he identifies himself as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here, what does he call himself? A prisoner of Jesus Christ. And there's some probably some reasons. We'll talk about that in just a second, but... But you'll see that difference. And then, of course, here he's directly writing to Philemon, all right? And then we have these two names that are also connected with Philemon in the greeting, right? Now, this is a woman's name, so most assume that's probably Philemon's wife. 
and this is a, another male name, but some believe this could be Philemon's son, but this name also appears in Colossians, all right? Uh, I think verse 17 or something there, but uh, it's in Colossians, and notice in, well, just look at it, I guess, in Colossians 4, verse 17, there, in, again, writing to the church at Colossae, Paul says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. So this Archippus, he's also named in Philemon, and here he's called what? A fellow soldier, all right? Interesting, when, when, when obviously people are named and there's, if you want to call them titles or, or descriptions, designations given to them, obviously because it's in scripture, we believe it's for a definite reason, all right? Every word is for a specific reason. But it's interesting, he's called a, a fellow soldier, but then he's also referred to in Colossians as having been given a ministry by the Lord. All right, so he obviously had a specific service that he was fulfilling. Some think he was probably a pastor, perhaps a pa the pastor at church in uh, at Colossae. All right, and it, it would maybe he was younger than other you know other men there, and that's why he's he's told you know focused on take heed to that ministry because it's similar words that Paul uses toward Timothy at times. Right, particularly in 1 Timothy, about taking heed to his ministry, taking heed to the doctrine, and so on, um, and, and all. But you have these names in the introduction. Of course, Onesimus, his name pops up down here, and he's really the whole subject of this letter. All right, Onesimus is a man who uh, appears that he was a slave. Now, let me just put a little pause here and just say, uh, we're not even going to have time, you know, we're not even going to try to address the issue of slavery and so on. Slavery is mentioned in the Bible, all right, and, and I'm not saying good or bad or whatever about it, but uh, it is mentioned in the Bible. In the New Testament, uh, it's always addressed in the context, if you want to say, that it just happens to, it exists in the world in which we find ourselves, all right, and if a man is a Christian and a slave, he's to serve his master as if he's serving God directly. If a man is a master of a slave and uh, is saved, he's to treat his slaves properly, Christ-like, all right? And, and that's really what the Bible says about it in the New Testament, okay? And, and the point is, you could take from that a number of things, okay, but... You know, oftentimes we find ourselves in difficult situations in life that are not necessarily of our choosing, right? But, you know, how, do we, how should we respond in those things? Well, we should, we should respond that we are, whatever our, our lot, our station, whatever situation we find ourselves in, in in life, we should look at it as directly, this is a situation that God has allowed and I should be striving to serve God at my best in whatever this is. Now, that's not always, that, that's, as Rick Salee says, that's easy preaching, hard living. You know, that's, that's a lot easier said than done uh, many times because a lot of times there's some not very good, not very easy, not very pleasant circumstances in life, but it is life. You ever heard, heard one of your kids say, life's not, you know, this isn't fair? 
I mean, life's not fair if you think about it that, but, but then again, what's the definition of fair? <laughs> you know, for different people in different circumstances, that's the, the answer to that's going to be different. But anyway, Onesimus is a man who apparently was a slave that belonged to Philemon who had run away. He had left. And it's very possible, based on some statements there, say in verse 18, about owing Philemon, it's very possible he had stolen money or possessions, something from uh, Philemon before he, before he left. Uh, but Onesimus was a runaway slave, and that's what the letter is about, all right? It's about Paul's attempt to try to reconcile Onesimus back to Philemon. And again, in that, there's some, in, the, in that appeal that he makes in that beginning in verse 8, there's some wonderful pictures of salvation and what the Lord Jesus, some specific things the Lord Jesus does for us in salvation. That again, aren't all, they're not very often not the focus of what we talk about in, in salvation, but some very wonderful things there. So Onesimus, all right, and, and Paul's writing to Philemon basically to try to reconcile Onesimus back to Philemon. And then these other names, Epaphras, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, they're all mentioned in here, kind of just in passing, if you want to say, but they were all men that in some way or another had a ministry, and at different times, we see some of them in other letters besides Philemon and uh, Colossians, we see them in the book of Acts, some, not all of them, but some of them. And uh, bottom line is these are all men who at different times they were working with Paul or somehow or another, right? And Epaphras had a very special ministry, it seems, as well to the church at Colossae. And, and Paul, in the book of Colossians, Paul mentions how Epaphras prayed fervently for that church and for those people. And uh, there's a lot, of, I mean, there's a lot of good, you know, personal lessons on a lot of these things. But what we want to focus on this morning, again, looking at the first seven verses here, is which is kind of laying the groundwork for the letter, for the appeal that Paul's making here, all right, is in this we see a testimony, and we titled the, the lesson, The Testimony of a Faithful Man, because really we see Paul kind of, in, in again, laying the groundwork. He's talking about Philemon, and he's, he's talking about how he prays for him. He's talking about how he's thankful to God for what he sees in Philemon's life. And there's some things that Paul's, Paul mentions here that are uh, things that should challenge each of us in our lives. And, and there's no hint whatsoever that Philemon was actually what we call a pastor or you know, a missionary. He was just a normal Christian, so to speak. All, I mean, you know what I mean. But, uh, but other than it seems that his... He, made, he opened his house for a church to meet there, probably, again, the church at Colossae. Uh, you realize that in, in that day, churches didn't meet in bot-designated buildings like we have the privilege of today, right? They, they, most of them were, would have been considered illegal and so on. I mean, they, they didn't have the, the liberties and so on that we have. But uh, Philemon apparently hosted a church. Notice in this. And there's different ways you could look at this. You could walk through uh, word by word, verse by verse, and so on. And of course, there's a lot of details that you go over that, you know, I always struggle with, okay, what do we cover here? What do we just kind of go? Because, I mean, obviously, there's not time for everything, you know, without extending things 
very long, but even, even in just the normal, what we think of as normal introductions and greetings and so on, there's a lot of riches if we stop and think about them, all right? We're not necessarily going to be able to talk about all of those right now. But notice, first of all, the way that your lesson is it's kind of organized in, in a different way than just verse by verse through here, but uh, I bo- broke it up basically in looking at the, the salutation, the first three verses, and then his... Uh, testimony here, or what's the word I used, his appreciation for Philemon, all right? So let me just read the first three verses again. We'll talk about these, and then we'll, we'll move down to the next four verses. But Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. It's interesting, too. This is another thing you could look at sometime, because this is an interesting thing. When, when, when Timothy, Timothy has a, a, a very strong association with Paul, of course, in the New Testament. And when you, you first find Timothy, historically speaking, in Acts chapter 16, all right? That's when, when Timothy is first mentioned uh, and his, his mother and so on says his father was a Greek. It appears that his father was not saved, uh, but Timothy was influenced greatly by his mother and grandmother and then, of course, by the apostle Paul. And uh, on Paul's uh, second missionary journey, Timothy being a young man. Now, we don't know how old he was. There's debate on exactly that because the term that's used there could mean anywhere from a teenager up to about 30 years old. Uh, but, uh, But he was a young man, and Paul took him under his wings, and he traveled with Paul from that time on for, you know, basically, except for times that Paul gave him a job and sent him places, right? But another interesting thing, I just mentioned this, is you'll notice sometime look at Timothy and notice the designations that Paul uses of him. Of course, he's always very often refers to him as his son, right, um, and so on. But you'll see where he's called a minister uh, or a servant, right? And he started out, he probably was the one that carried the bags, you know, for Paul and, and Silas. And, and I mean, uh, but he, he was just there you know, which is an important thing, right? Uh, But you'll see, again, these different designations. He's called a fellow helper, fellow laborer. Here he's called brother. Uh, In, in, of course, uh, 1 Timothy, he was left in the position of overseeing the work of the church in Ephesus, which would have been quite a responsibility. Uh, but again, you'll, you'll see this progression in Timothy's life is what I'm getting at and how Paul trained him. And, and, and that's, a, that's a model, by the way, of, of how uh, you know, churches ought to do things today. But uh, So Timothy, our brother, and here he calls him brother. You know, when you think of a brother, somebody, if somebody says, my brother, that's, that's basically calling them an equal, right? You're not looking down on them as you know, a student, so to speak. Uh, but your brother. So Paul refers to Timothy as his brother here. All right, Paul and, and of course, in Christ, they were brothers. Even if he was his son in the faith, he's still his brother, which is another, getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but another thing that you see in this letter is because of how what Paul's doing in writing to Philemon, trying to have Onesimus reconciled back with Onesimus had been a slave of his, and probably had stolen from wronged him, all right? And Paul's basically saying he needs to receive him back, not just as a servant or a slave, but as 
more than that, as a brother. That would take, that would, you know, again, that would take some humility on Philemon's part. But at the same time, it does demonstrate to us, too, how the Lord looks at those, uh, say, in a church. All right? In, uh, it's mentioned in Colossians, actually, that in Christ, there's not bond or free. There's not slaves and masters. There's not male or female. You know, there's, there's I mean, we're all, everybody who's in Christ uh, is one, equal. Now, people have different roles, all right, in serving Christ, and sometimes those, you know, there's authority and, and so on, but the point is, in Christ, positionally speaking, we're all one. And, and even in the Godhead, even in God himself, we see that very same thing, right? We, you know, we, we, we believe the Bible teaches the Trinity, all right, a triune God. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard concept to even think about, right? One God, but existing in three persons, and Father, Son, Spirit. Now, think about that for just a second, because we even see, in a way, that mentioned here, all right? But Father, now, right, when you think of positions, Father is over Son, right? But God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are all equal in their person, in who they are. But they have different functions, right? They take on different roles. The Son is a role that Jesus, God the Son, took on, in, and in doing so, he put himself in a subservient role to the Father, to come to the, you know, to become a man, come to earth, and carry out the will of God here on this earth. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, it, it, that is described this way, that he humbled himself and became a man, right? He took on the form of a servant, but he humbled himself. And so you see that. The same thing, again, is true, all right? With, with humans who are saved, particularly humans in, a, in the same church, I mean... Every one, every Christian's equal, but at the same time, there are different roles, different functions that different one have in the home. All right, husband, wife, you know, father, mother, children. I mean, is 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 Katie any less important than Andy? No, but their roles are different because that's the way God established and God ordained, and God has the right to do that. By the way, all right, God Himself. He demonstrates, again, that very principle in that. In fact, and I'm getting off of what I was even going <laughs> to a little bit here, but this is just uh, something that... Note it, note it, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 real quick. Because the, the issue of slavery comes up in this letter... And that I think it's just important because I mentioned, you know, and I don't want to get bogged down talking about slavery and all that here. But, uh, but just notice this principle again, all right? 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that ye remember me in all things, and keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. But I would have you know, now notice, notice verse 3, I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman 
is the man and the head of Christ is God. All right now, again, in that we, we, we understand that the Bible teaches different, there's different roles that different people have, right? And in the home, God has set the man and then the woman, right? Then kids. It's funny because, and this is so obvious at Children's Hospital, by the way, but the world kind of has that completely opposite. Kids are above everything. And we had some very aggravating experiences at times. And I'm not, uh, But anyway, uh, the reason I br I'm mentioning this, okay, the, la the first two are easy to see. Christ is the head of man. That, there's no, we shouldn't have any problem recognizing that. The head of the man or the head of the woman is the man, right? Again, a lot of people today have a hard time with that one. But, but then it says, the last one, the head of Christ is God. If God the Father, God the Son are equal, how is one over the other? Again, it's a matter of function. It's a matter of position, right? It's not a matter of person. Now, that, that is relevant to what we're talking about because we see here in Philemon, I, let me get back on track here, Wow, we get, let me get really back on track. Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved, and fellow laborer. Notice these, these descriptions Paul is using of, uh, of Philemon here. Right? He's dearly beloved, great friend, a beloved friend, and fellow laborer. Paul calls him a fellow laborer. So, and again, there's no indication that we see anywhere in the scripture that Philemon had some kind of particular role as a, a pastor, uh, a missionary, anything like that. But Paul says he's a fellow laborer. That means he's laboring alongside me. He's there with me. And there's a lot of different ways in which that is true. All right? In a church, by the way. Uh, I think of, uh, I'm not trying to pick on Andy today, but uh, you're just right there. You're a target, you know. Uh, but on Wednesday nights, right? And, and I've missed a lot of Wednesday nights recently. But uh, you, you were talking about praying for a pastor. And then last Wednesday, you were talking about praying for missionaries and apparently had been doing that before Wednesday. But you think of that. It, one of the things in the Bible that's uh, an interesting thing is the Lord looks at, all right, he calls certain people to go to do certain things. But... The church, all right, and of course, multiple churches can be involved in, in helping missionaries, right? But the people in a church who give, who pray, who do the encouraging, which is something that people should do. I'll, the point being is that is looked at as just as important as being there in the, in, in the trenches, if you want to say. They're not any better because they're there. They just happen to be the ones that God placed there, all right? And, and obviously, again, why God chooses some people for this, some people, that, that's his business. He knows what he's doing, all right? But that's his business. But it is, again, it's just as important, the people that are providing the support. You think of a war, military. Do you, you realize how many uh, percentage, and I don't know the exact number, okay? But, I mean, in, in a war effort, there's far more people involved in what you would call the support of those that are actually on the front line than those that are actually on the front line. I mean, but yet all of that's needed and important and part of the whole effort, right? And, and 
So he, he calls him his fellow laborer here, and to our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, again, it's a different word that he's using, but he's, he's fighting with us is the idea, not fighting like, you know, brothers fighting, but fighting alongside us, all right, is, is the idea here. So uh, this Archippus had apparently some kind of particular ministry, and again, he was mentioned in Colossians as having been given a ministry by the Lord, and to the church in thy house. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to mention a few things here on this verse before we go on, and time's really going. But um, we were talking about that verse in 1 Corinthians there, right? The head of of Christ is God. Notice, Notice this, and this is something you'll see in almost every letter in the New Testament, all right? Um, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. These are two words that Paul includes in every letter that I know of, a wish for grace and peace. Now, interestingly enough, in the pastoral uh, epistles, he adds the word mercy. (laughs) But but he, he wishes in every letter grace and peace to those he's sending the letter to. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of things you could talk about with these, but these are two special words, grace and peace. And by the way, grace always comes first in this. And without grace, you'll never have peace, all right? Um, and both of these are words and, and um, attributes, I guess you could say, that are associated with salvation, all right? Uh, for instance... We talk about saving grace, right? Uh, God, you know, grace. By the way, I and and I've ever since I've always used this definition, but you know, there's different definitions people give of the word grace. But I think Brother Hammett has probably the I think it's the simplest, and it just hits it. You know, it's God's help to those that don't deserve it because people, don't, you know, it's unmerited favor. It's God's favor to those, you know, who don't deserve it. But it's favor is his help. It's, he does something for you to help you even when you don't deserve it. That's, that's the idea. And that's necessary in salvation, is it not? I mean, without God's grace, we would never be saved because we can't do it ourselves. And, you know, Ephesians 2 says it's by grace that you're saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So we need God's help in order to be saved. And God's grace, by the way, is Christ, all right? I mean, that whole story again, Philippians 2, he left heaven, became a man, and did everything that he did to fulfill exactly the will of God. He did it, and and when he came, he lived here as a man. He didn't live as God here. Now, that's again, this is another one of those things in our minds our human minds, it's hard to understand exactly. Who is Jesus Christ? He's the God-man. He's eternal God. He's always been God. Never been a time when Jesus Christ, God the Son, has not been God. Never. But there was a point in time when he became a man. And there's a definite difference in the two. You can see that in John chapter 1, all right? He's eternally the Word who was with God and was God, always has been. But in verse 14, it mentions the word became flesh. So there's a point of time when he became a man. And it's not just 
God put on a human body, he took on humanity. He became man. I can't understand that. that that's, you know, that, that's difficult to think about. But, you know, because a lot of people have, uh, Jehovah's Witness, for instance, they have this hang-up, you know, about not, well, he can't be God and man, and, you know, uh, there can't be, you know, how, how can you have a triune God, you know? The Bible says one God. And uh, Anyway, but... There, there are things that we really, in our human minds, we, we really can't rationalize out. But think about this. God is way above, I think, the, the verse for your series, you know. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. He's, I mean, he's way up there, right? So if we could understand every little thing about him, he wouldn't be that big of a God, would he? I mean, but... His grace, all right, that's what we're talking about here in this verse now, is his help, all right? So in salvation, we need God's grace, and the result of that is peace, all right? God helps us, and the result of that is peace in our lives. Now, in salvation, we, we, when, when we get saved, when we experience saving grace, we have peace with God, all right? In other words, we're no longer at enmity with him. And when the Bible describes unsaved people, if you think about it, it should be scary because they're called enemies of God. They're alienated from God, separated from God. They're, you know, I mean, there's a lot of descriptions that if people would really grasp it, it should scare them because we're talking about the God of the universe and that's how they relate to him. They're at odds with him. But in salvation, all that's made right. But it's through Christ, all right? But grace, all right? And that results in peace. So you have peace with God in salvation. And then as a Christian, I mean, everything in our lives, we need grace for. We need God's help in everything in our lives. And when we get away, if you want to say, from realizing that, that's when we get ourselves in trouble. But if we live constantly with the mindset, we need God's help with this. Sometimes, you know, you know, uh, well, it's kind of like a patient in the hospital, right? They progress in certain things and then, okay, yeah, I can do this now, but sometimes they can get careless because they, their mindset is, okay, I don't need to call for help for this. I can just do it and they might fall or something to that effect, all right? So, but in our Christian lives, you know, I mean, we, we got to be careful about that, letting that human, uh, our, our human ability take over. It might be something we think we've done a million times, but you know what? We still need God's help, and we still need to rely on his help in order to please him, to do whatever it is the right way, with the right outcome, for the right purpose, and so on. And so, grace and peace. And interestingly enough here, notice both these words, grace and peace, where do they come from? According to verse 2. Where do they come from? Or 3, excuse me. And the interesting thing here is those are looked at as equal sources. All right, so... Grace and peace come from God the Father. 
But also, according to this verse, grace and peace come from the Lord Jesus Christ, which again is one of those other little things that you see that oftentimes we don't think about, but it demonstrates that God the Father and God the Son are equal. All right, they're the same. They're the same God. But there's God the Father, there's God the Son, there's God the Spirit as well. He's not mentioned right here, but, uh, but grace and peace come equally from them, from either one, from them. And so, uh, again, this, this demonstrates that uh, their equality here, although they have different roles in what they do, in God, working out God's plan for this world, they have different roles that they do and that they take on, if you want to say. Uh, but there's nothing forced in that, of course. It's all uh, willingly uh, and so on. But grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he mentions here, uh, and we're going to have to, I'm only going to be able to mention it as well, but in verses 4 through 7, you see now a uh, 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 word of thanks and mention of prayer for Philemon. All right, he says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. Now, the sentence doesn't stop there, so keep reading. Hearing of thy love and faith, which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. All right, so Paul says here, he thanks God, all right, now... And he's making mention of him. Notice the word making, the word hearing here. These are, are equal words here as far as grammatical function, if you want to say. But he's thanking God. He meant, And as he thanks God, he makes mention of Philemon always in his prayers. He consistently prays for Philemon when he thinks of him is the idea. As I remember you, I pray for you. That's a good practice to have. Uh, a missionary lady uh, that I think you indirectly mentioned Wednesday night. I, I heard her say this years ago, but, and this isn't necessarily a quote, but this is the gist of what she said, that when she thinks of someone, she tries to make it a habit of praying for that person when she thinks of them. And her point was, God brought that person to my mind for a reason, so I should pray for them. And that, that kind of that struck me, and it's kind of always, I can't say as I always practice that. Admittedly, there are some people when you think of them, probably not the best thoughts come to your mind, right? But hey, we should pray for them. I mean, if, they, if, they, if that's the way we think about them, then there's a need for prayer there, right? Maybe pray that the Lord would help us to, uh, you know, interact with them in the best way and so on. But anyway, that, that that's, I thought was a good practical lesson. He says, I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers. And then he, because he hears of his love and faith, which Philemon has toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. And I think we'll just wait on some of this and, and pick back up next week on it. But he says that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. In other words, the result is he's praying that God would do this. Bring about God's, we could word it this way, God's will in Philemon's life in every matter. And, and this is just a little thing here, and I'm going to close. Because sometimes we think, and, and I've been guilty of this as well, but sometimes we compartmentalize our lives. 
and we think, okay, this is spiritual here, and this is just other stuff, whatever, you know, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have anything to do with this. But the reality is, God is interested in every aspect of our lives, and we should allow God to work in and have his will in every aspect of our lives. We should be submissive to him in every aspect of our lives. And that's one of the things here that Paul's praying for Philemon in, that in everything in Philemon's life, it would be fruitful for God's glory. And that should be our desire for our lives, for others as we pray for them, all right? And so on. But we're gonna have, we'll, we'll stop here, and then we'll, we'll pick back up and then move on, uh, Lord willing, next week in that. But let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word. Help us now uh, to be able to turn our attention to your word uh, in uh, the morning service, and please work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.